Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Good morning. My name is Katie, and I'm going to be reading scripture for us this morning. Um, I would invite you to follow along as you're able. Um, Either the text will be up on the screen for you to follow along, or if you want to follow along on your phone, or if you brought a paper Bible. Um, If you don't have one and would like one to keep, we have a couple of Bibles out on the table. Um, Feel free to grab one and take one home with you. I will also say this passage kind of jumps in in the middle of a story, which is really, really fascinating. So I would invite you, after you hear the text in the sermon today, to go home and read the whole entire story because it's really good. So the text for today comes from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came to her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king and make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message from Mordecai saying, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, all alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do, you, do, not, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. 
and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I currently serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church Edgewater. And I'm just so glad you're here. Will you pray with me? God, who calls us and reminds us that we are so beloved. There are a million decisions to make in one day, decisions that are big and small and some that inform the rest of our lives and influence those around us. God, we know that those decisions are not supposed to be made in isolation, but sometimes we forget that, thinking that we have to do it all and do it on our own. So God, we ask that you remind us that we are beloved people called to be in community, called to discernment and care together. And so it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so, as Katie mentioned, I'm going to come over here so I can see you. Uh, as Katie mentioned, this is such an excellent story. The book of Esther is famous for several things. Uh, one, it's a story about not just one woman, but two women standing up to a tyrant king. What up, ladies? The other reason it's important is because God is never mentioned in this text. And just because God's name wasn't mentioned, it doesn't mean that God wasn't invoked to do something. It doesn't mean that God wasn't present in the actions and decisions of the story. More so, our four parents of faith believed that this story was so essential and important, and they gifted us, it to us because they knew there are often times in life when God shows up in different places and spaces that are not labeled God. And so... Since we don't often read the story of Esther, I think it's only appropriate that I give you like a 60-second, 90-second version of what's happening before Mordecai tears his clothes and the back and forth between the queen about her sacrifice. So you ready? Buckle up, strap in, here we go. Esther is a replacement queen. She follows up after Queen Vashti, a vixen of a woman, is thrown out for refusing to show up in her apple-bottom jeans and boots with the fur for the king and his drunken cronies at a party. Next, Mordecai, Esther's adoptive father slash cousin, enters the young woman in a beauty contest to become the new queen. There she is, Queen Esther. And then one day, while out walking, Haman, this slippery man of a hanger-on to the king Xerxes, passes Mordecai in the street. When Mordecai doesn't lie flat on the ground out of respect for Haman's presence, the miffed man goes to the king. Haman, now I should tell you, was a raging anti-Semite. He believes that all Jews should respect and remember their place unless they replace the people in power. So angry and seeking revenge, Haman lines the pockets of King Xerxes with money and convinces him to exterminate the Jews. The Jews will not replace us, he says. You wouldn't want others to learn of disrespect like Mordecai did. So all the Jews will think that they can get whatever the heaven they want, Haman says. And so it is ordered. All the Jews will be exterminated. The truth is, King Xerxes is not the brightest crayon in the box. 
as a leader, he is kind of easily influenced by whoever is around him at that same time. He listens to whoever's in front of him, whoever says something that he thinks will get him away with stuff. So political vultures hang around hoping to influence and sway him and his whims of leadership. Our church sermon series is about learning how to make difficult decisions and seek God's guidance in our lives. And the beauty and fun of the Hebrew language, maybe you don't think it's beautiful and fun, but uh, I have fallen in love with it over the years. Like here in Esther, it is a constant play of language and comparison and irony throughout this whole story. You see, King Xerxes is a terrible decision maker. While he's being trusted to be the decider for the whole kingdom, for the fate of all, he is not a decision maker. He simply allows others to elbow their way out uh, and closest to him to tell him what to do next. On the other hand, Mordecai and Esther seek guidance. They seek discernment from God for the salvation of their community. They seek the support of their community to guide them towards courageous and often terrifying actions. Making big or small decisions can feel intimidating, and sometimes those decisions come with life consequences. We fall into a trap sometimes, unsure of which way to go, or worse yet, knowing that a decision is bad, we either just justify it or we don't do anything. When I... Uh, was choosing to go to graduate school, much like Kayla. My choice was based on where I got in, which was not many schools, and where gave me the most money, which was not a whole lot of schools either. It became an easy choice. I actually was being paid to go to school for graduate school, so I moved myself across the country, leaving behind that cute boy that I met in a coffee shop a few months earlier that I told you about last week. My life had totally changed. I thought I might be unlovable, but I was following this call of God to go into graduate school. And once there, I was surrounded by a bunch of people, but I lived in a basement apartment, and I was studying things that I knew nothing about. I would read the same text over and over, trying to absorb them, bring them into me internally, but really I just couldn't understand anything, and I had to read the same sentence over and over again because my brain was so racked with doubt and fear that I couldn't internalize anything I was reading. My anxiety was swelling because I was alone, because I didn't know if I had made the right choice where I was going, because my depression and anxiety were creeping up even higher and higher, telling me, you don't belong here. You're not smart enough. You couldn't get into those other schools. You're not good enough. And so as I lay awake at nights, just trying desperately to understand what I was reading, trying desperately to pound out papers that I knew would get a failing grade anyway, I wrestled with my discernment. Was I even called to be a pastor? Do I have anything good to share? Does God want to use me? As the semester went on, I sought counseling, I sought a therapist and a psychiatrist, and over and over again, I would go into their offices crying, sobbing, because I felt like this place, I was a fraud. Someone was about to find out. And in the end, after several months of living in someone's basement apartment, typing out, hammering out horrible, terrible papers. 
I decided to take medical leave from my school. Halfway through the semester, I didn't even get to finish my finals. I just left with the blessing of the academic staff and of my therapist and my psychiatrist, but I left feeling defeated. I was at the point in my life where my anxiety was so overwhelmed, and this is like way too much information and a full confession, but my anxiety was so high that I sometimes could not control my body. I would break out in hives, I would wet the bed, 22 and wetting the bed, that's not cool. And you, you start to doubt everything about yourself. Who am I? What am I called to? Am I even an adult anymore? Should I start buying Depends and adult-sized diapers? Because this might be a lifetime of disappointment. That was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make, was to say, I think I made the wrong decision. I think I wasn't meant to be here. I might have failed. Instead of giving up, though, uh, because I am persistently annoying, I, <laughs> I decided to continue taking classes at my undergrad. It was not a prestigious school like the ones I had applied to. They were not giving me any extra money to go there. I would not get any accolades, and I might have trouble getting a job afterwards because it wasn't a good school. But I went anyway, taking classes, and I ultimately decided to transfer my, my, uh, my student placement to the school because I was surrounded by people who told me, you are good, you are enough, you are called and you belong here. Faithful discernment, listening to God, requires very deep attentiveness not just attentiveness to ourselves, but attentiveness to the world around us, attentiveness to what other people are saying and breathing into our lives. A decision is not always easy. It doesn't always feel like it has a positive outcome, but healthy discernment gives us, builds up within us the courage, the credits, the bravery to move forward into a wild unknown where we might feel like we are still a failure. And so it takes there are ways to listen when the stakes seem really high, when our self-doubt seems really high and our self-esteem seems really low, and we struggle to hear God's whispering voice. And so you can look at all of this list that uh, Esther basically made, this boss lady, lady boss of following God. The ways of seeking out healthy discernment, according to Esther, are listening to the sources outside of yourself. Esther sees Mordecai ripping his clothes, and rather than going to him, she takes him clothes to cover himself up and explain himself, but rather than uh, telling him, what the heck are you doing? She listens to what Mordecai has to say. She listens to the suffering that the people are about to experience. She doesn't close off her ears and say, that can't be true, but she hears the, the truth from others. The story is about the kind of, uh, it's actually like kind of comical, this back and forth of the running servant that goes back and forth to Mordecai and Esther, the dialogue of questions, seeking further in information about the experiences of the world. It's about, discernment is about seeking perspectives outside of yourself. 
about believing those perspectives that bring new and clearer visions of God's work in the world. After many years of my schooling, uh, I was taught one perspective of history, specifically about Texas history and Texas independence, and we fought the Alamo, and don't you dare forget the Alamo. And in my years of schooling, I wasn't, it wasn't until a, I was an adult that I learned new hidden parts of history that change how I view this country and change how I view my identity as a Texan and my work and role of, as a God follower in this world. So it's about expanding your, your realm of information, seeking voices outside yourself, particularly mentors, to teach and tell you where God is working. Next, Esther teaches us it's about listening to your own internal voice that still soft whisper of God. Sometimes when you're praying, it creeps up in the back of your mind and you wonder if it is from God. And the truth is, the ones that tell you you are beloved and you are good and you are celebrated by God, those voices are from God. When I was a hospital chaplain, I was a hospital chaplain. Did you know that? That's another story in my discernment process where I wondered if I was called to anything. Was I called to church ministry and now I'm working in a hospital? But anyway, as a hospital chaplain, I wondered if I would ever become a pastor. And the thing I learned was there are so many theories about pastoral care you can only learn in a hospital setting. And so I learned that in pastoral care, when you sit with someone and hear their story, the presence of God comes and surrounds you. And it is such an honorable moment, such a holy moment moment to sit and have someone tell you their story. The individual, I learned, always has the answer within themselves already. My role as the chaplain was just to be the the midwife, helping them give birth to the story that is already there, pulling it up and holding it for them to say, see, this is good. You are good. Just as you're trying to wonder if you should take this medication and you're doubting whether it will do any good, Maybe you're done. Maybe you don't want to take any more medication. Maybe you're feeling like your life has been full. Or it's listening to people and hearing them say, I'm hurting and I'm in pain and no one is listening to me. And the the job of the pastor is to pull forth and say, you want to be heard and you need an advocate, someone to come alongside you to speak up and demand with you. And so these are things that When you're trying to discern what you need for the future, the role of a chaplain, but also the role of all of us in community is to listen and hold up the truths that are already a part of the discussion. When you're trying to discern if you want a new job, you hold up and say, it sounds like you might be dissatisfied with your job. Or when you're trying to discern why is it and how can you help get get what you need, you're trying to discern maybe, should I go back to school? Well, It sounds like you want to go back to school, but is something holding you back? What might that be? Why are you so afraid? So after gathering information from others, like Esther seeking information from Mordecai, Esther finds the excuse. She makes up an excuse. She says, I can't go see the king. He only points out his scepter every once in a while saying, you get to come in and you get to come in. But this is really just her excuse of trying to make no decision at all. She doesn't have that kind of power, she says, but despite her excuses, she knows what she needs to do. She needs to ask the morally difficult question to determine the future. And so she listens to what God is calling her through the Holy Spirit Spirit and the guidance of her community, the pushing and prodding of Mordecai telling her, you were made for such a time as this. And ultimately, 
she makes a very brave choice, saying, if I perish, I perish. She accepts this outcome as worthy of her difficult choice. She is not resigned to this outcome, but chooses it willingly because she knows her choice will be bearable with the support of her community and the presence of God. And so Esther uses two spiritual practices we can kind of unpack and talk about a little bit. Uh, She and her community, she invites them to fast. Fasting sometimes has these like internalized things that we learned about giving up food uh, that for some of us have taught us unhealthy practices about either diet culture. Fasting is not about trying to get a skinny bod for beach culture, but it's about uh, relieving ourselves of the need of consumption and becoming invested and listening to what God is doing in our world. The other thing that Esther teaches us about is surrounding ourselves with a community that shows us clearly where God is calling us by listening to that internal gut feeling, that internal gut uh, Holy Spirit experience. And I want to talk a little bit about one of my favorite practices today, mostly because it was one that caught, uh, got me caught up in negative systems of thinking about myself, and I've since tried to reclaim it, and it's become something so powerful in my practice, in my spiritual practice with God. And that's fasting. When I was in high school, I thought fasting was uh, not eating so that I could be cute for the next dance that was coming up. That's not fasting. <laughs> fasting is actually realizing what it is in your life that you can, cannot stop thinking about, cannot stop participating in. Something that you probably know isn't healthy for you or you don't feel good about all the time, but knowing that it's something you're kind of tied up in, constantly checking in on. So for me, when I fast, I often fast from social media. I can't fast from all of social media because my job is to like organize people and let you know about the things, and so I have to go on Facebook to update and like and all the things, post the cute pictures. But it's also about remembering that the phones that we carry around in our pockets every day are sometimes the things that were built for our addiction. They were built with these beautiful images and beautiful colors that our brains think, whoa, this is is great. And all the likes and the clicks start to feed into those endorphins in my brain, making me feel like a good person, when really after I set the phone down four hours later, Sometimes that happens. Four hours later, I realize I haven't done much today except watch funny videos of kids doing dumb things. And so I realize I have to fast from social media. One of the things I do that really helps with that, too, is there's a way on your phone you can turn the screen to black and white or grayscale. This is a function they don't tell you about because they want you to remain addicted to it, but it's there, and we can figure it out together. Come bring me your phone. I'll show you how to make it happen. But you will be amazed at how much time it cuts down on your phone, on your screens, when you have changed the colors because they have made it so that you will become addicted and attracted to this device. One of the other things I like to fast from is uh, coffee mugs, like paper coffee cups. I used to work at a coffee shop before this. I talked about that a little bit last week, but I also... um, am addicted to coffee, and I'm not going to give that up. You don't want me to give that up. (laughs) But what I am going to give up is the idea that these coffee cups are lined with a thing of wax that, in the end, cannot be recycled. They just have to go into the trash to a dump where they take years and years to disintegrate. And rather than deciding to give up coffee, what I've decided is when I go to a coffee shop, I demand, I, I reject the cup and I say, I want a mug. 
Give me that coffee in a mug, this liquid courage that I need to down will come from something that can later be washed and doesn't contribute to the rest of this consumption of a world that is a waste. I did this one year for Lent, and I had to make sure then that I always had a mug on me, too. So if I was going to the coffee shop and they didn't have a mug, I would at least have something to help me make it through the rest of the day. So committing to something also means you have to be in preparation for it. Another thing people often give up, too, is alcohol. And that sounds like a scary one sometimes for people or one that uh, becomes a crutch because alcohol is also a depressant. It helps us uh, calm the deep anxieties in our brain. When your brain has that uh, hamster wheel going that just keeps rotating and rotating around the same types of problems that you can't seem to figure out, we sometimes use alcohol to calm ourselves and bring ourselves down out of that spinning wheel. But it also has this power, because it's a depressant, the next day to make you feel even worse. So then you're still feeling these negative thoughts about yourself that are not of God and feeling deeper anxiety rustling through you. And so giving up alcohol for a certain period of time helps us understand how we might be tied to it or how it rules our lives and how it controls our brains in ways that are unhealthy and allows us to clear the space to say, maybe I don't need it. I was on a flight uh, to visit my in-laws. It was the longest flight ever because uh, we did not do a very good discernment process, but my spouse and I got a new puppy. And puppies are so great, but you need to make a good discernment process before you get a puppy because we did not do that. And then my husband left two days later and I had to take a four-hour flight with a puppy all by myself. Thankfully, this puppy is super cute and I was the most popular person at O'Hare that winter. But I pulled the puppy out of his carrier on the plane, and the woman sitting next to me gushed, loved the puppy, and wanted to hold him the whole ride there, which I was so thankful for because I thought I was going to have to buy her a glass of wine just to get her to, like, my puppy to shut up and feed him a glass of wine as well. <laughs> it turns out I made a new friend that day because we had a four-hour-long conversation. And what I learned from this woman was that she had found that alcohol was ruling her life that she would go home feeling this deep anxiety and unsettledness from who she was and how she was behaving in the world, and it was something she could not live without. And so she decided for a short period of time, a lot of people do this called dry January. You can do dry a week, dry a day, a month, whatever it is you need, but she decided to do dry January where she didn't drink for the whole month of January. And she was there celebrating because I offered to buy her a glass of wine. She said, actually, I've gone the whole year without drinking because I just feel so much better. I realized how dependent I was on it. And now my Instagram stories are just filled of mornings of me dancing because I don't have a hangover and I'm really excited. So realizing that it's just one simple step or decision to make to understand what's controlling our lives, what's, what we're committed to, and understanding the other new possibilities that could be coming in. So fasting Although I had negative connections to it and ties to it as a young adult, I've learned is one of the best ways for me to understand what God is doing in my life, giving up something for a long period of time or a short period of time to help understand what it is I've been spending so much time focusing on. What are those internal voices that, that are telling me negative things about myself when really the voice of God should be screaming loudly, you are good, you are beloved, you are so well-loved. And so fasting is one of those that you can, you can process through. I'll be posting on our Facebook page other areas and ways you can fast healthily 
from things in your life. If you're looking to see that, we'll also have it in the e-news, but look for those. Some of our UVC members for the next, starting tomorrow, for the next three weeks are engaging in a three-week fast, a fast of whatever it is you want. Some people are doing what's called a Daniel fast, where they only eat beans and vegetables and no coffee and no alcohol. And I said, no, thank you. But <laughs> if that sounds like something you want to try, you can join this group. There's a support group on Facebook for people to say, oh, this is hard. And others to come around and say, yes, you can do it. Listening for God's voice also takes community. Surrounding yourself with those people who continue to help hold you accountable, but also support you. That's just like the shortened version of what accountability is, is it's support. So if you are looking to make big or small decisions in your life. If you're just looking to hear God's voice more clearly that says you are so beloved, I encourage you to surround yourself much like Esther did with trusted advisors, people who are teaching you new and different things about how to experience God and how to be guided in care. I encourage you, those people who are like midwives for you, holding up the question that you are trying to discern and say, it sounds like this. Have you ever thought of that? It is through clearing our heads, seeking information and a guidance from community that we lean in towards the Holy Spirit in everyday places, places that we find then strength for the difficult and ultimately beneficial decisions of our lives. Because, friends, these decisions you and I make influence generations that are yet to come. Will you pray with me? God, you have called us to clear the clutter of our minds, to find things in our life that spark joy for us. You call us, God, to be reminded that we are your people, that despite all of the pop-up ads and the addictions that we are surrounded by, we belong to none of those things, to none of those entities. We are your people and you are our God. And so we offer our brains and our bodies and our community up to you, God, asking that you continue to guide us, giving us the courage to make hard decisions on behalf of future generations. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.